It's our musical episode. And since neither of us can sing, we decided to do snaps. Because that happens in musicals. Stay tuned. Good day. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. Welcome to our podcast, Writers Get Animated, a podcast, podcast, twice now, podcast about podcasts. <laughs> um, it's a podcast about writing and animation and acting talent. Um, today, we are talking about musical episodes of shows that happen in shows that are otherwise not musical most of the time. So this kind of rules out um, your Adventure Times, uh, your Steven Universes, uh, things that often have songs in Milo many Murphy's episodes. Law. Yeah, Milo Murphy's Law has a surprising number of songs in it. Well, if you have someone like Weird Al as a voice, you're going to want music in there. That's true. Yeah. So not talking about those shows that already have music regularly. Right. They're These. taking their music prune juice or something. I don't know. I, uh, well, I don't know. understand they're regular. That. I, okay. There'd be a, a snare drum there if this were musical. Yeah. But it's not. It's a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Goodness. Okay, moving on. Um, so, uh, musical episodes are a thing. They're a thing that people love or hate. And we're going to try to get to the bottom today of, like, what makes a good musical episode? When do people enjoy this? Do you like musicals in general? Because I feel like we need to... Oh. I think we need to have a conversation about musicals in general and then go into... We should talk about the chorus line elephant in the room. Yeah. I, think I we... generally don't like musicals. I do like spontaneous singing and dancing in my life, but I don't generally like musicals <laughs> that much. Okay. Um, however, I do also like musical episodes of things. Hmm. I like that it's a sometimes food. Okay. You like musicals. I do like musicals. A lot. I, just because my cubicle at work has playbills lined all over it doesn't mean that I like musicals very much. I, I do enjoy a good musical. Haha, there's the qualifier. Good musicals. What makes a musical good? I mean, that's my qualifier, too. Oh! Oh, oh okay. I see. Wow. I like Wicked. Yeah. And uh, Man of La Mancha. I like Man of La Mancha. Mm -hmm. I used to listen to um, my, my mother's record of Man of La Mancha. Mm -hmm. And whenever the opening song of that comes on, I find it very hard. I find it very hard not to break into song. So it's always dangerous if I put my phone on shuffle at work. Like, please. <laughs> Man of La Mancha, do not come on <laughs> because I will have. There was one day where I had to leave the room <laughs> to sing. Uh, yes, or, uh, yeah, I had to leave. <laughs> Chris, where are you going? <laughs> Outside. Hear me now. <laughs> yeah, it was really. I awful. am my Don Quixote. Sorry, we're just gonna make this podcast a retelling of Man of La Mancha. Apparently, <laughs> I shall impersonate a man. That's how it starts. That's yes. For the people who don't know Man of La Mancha. Okay. We shall animate a man. Moving on. Um, so, <laughs> let's talk... Uh, what was the first musical episode of something that wasn't a musical? Well, according to the, the grand knowledge source that is Wikipedia, supposedly, I Love Lucy did the musical episode trope first. Um, in 1956 with Lucy Goes to Scotland, which I haven't seen, but with a name called Lucy Goes to Scotland, knowing it's a musical episode, I feel compelled to watch this to understand how this works and how this was the first instance of this. Um, but I, many shows have done it since, of course, most famously, I think in the modern era, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm -hmm. gave us once more with feeling regarded as one of the best episodes of anything ever. That's hyperbole, but... I like it. It's highly regarded. It is regarded highly. Yes. It's not regarded lowly. No. No. It's up there. 
I've never seen it. You've never seen it? No, I've never seen a single episode of Buffy. That's the only episode of Buffy that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. It gives us a lot of the, um, the template for the modern musical episode, I feel, in there. Because mm. um, it's, it's very meta. It begins, of course, with a song about how Buffy is slaying demons and she doesn't know why anymore. And the credits roll, and then they, they're all gathering at the regular Buffy place. I don't know enough about the show to tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but they're gathering at the Buffy place. Yeah, sure, the Buffy place. Yeah, and they're kind of doing their morning routine. And someone says, "So, did anyone else burst into song last night?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I did." Why? You did that too? And so it's this episode about this meta-ness of people are bursting into song all over town. They don't know why. And as they go through the episode, there are background characters singing songs about. Music and milk and falling in love just in the background of this town. And there's a demon causing people to sing themselves to death. Huh. And so it's a fun, interesting episode where this music is not normally part of the universe of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And they find a way to make a musical episode by introducing music and the characters acknowledge that this is not normal. This doesn't usually happen. So... So in our modern, in our, our talk today, we're going to talk about episodes of animated TV shows where they both acknowledge that music is not normally something part of this world and shows where they have a musical episode, but they don't really say why. It just kind of is musical. Because hmm. I think there's good in both areas and uh, we want to know, like, why? Why do we like this? Why do... Why does Mackenzie Worrell, as a not musical lover, love musical episodes of things? Is it because it's a one-off? Yeah, there's a lot of questions. Yeah, there's sometimes question food. Um, generally, and I'll say this getting into our conversation, I like I like things that embrace camp. I'm okay with that. Yeah. So I tend to fall on the side of shows that acknowledge that music is not normally part of their universe. I do like that. Mm. Where it's just like, we're doing this. Here's why. It's a flimsy reason. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so for homework, we asked you to watch at least two episodes, but we're going to tangentially talk about a number of things today. We're going to first talk about a world where music is not normally part of the story, but they acknowledge that this is happening one time. Uh, it's something that neither Chris nor I had seen before. It's Batman, The Brave and the Bold, and the episode um, Mayhem of the Music Meister. Starring Neil MPH. Patrick Harris. Yeah, not Batman. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. yeah it's not, a, it's not <laughs> an episode starring Batman by any means. Yeah. Um, Neil Patrick Harris, as the best musicals are, the villain usually steals the show here. Especially with when you have a character like Batman who does not sing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he does. Spoilers. But, I mean... I mean, I feel like that's the, the question of the episode. Of course, Black Canary has her thing of like, will Batman love me? It's not a will they or won't they with Batman and Black Canary. The audience's question they're at is, will Batman sing? And that's the only question you have in this whole episode. <laughs> will Batman sing in this musical episode? That's the underlying question. They go through everything knowing that that's the question on everyone's mind. We get a kick line with Aquaman and Black Panther and Gorilla Grodd at the beginning. So you know anything goes. Oh, literally, anything <laughs> goes in this episode. Um, Batman Brave and the Bold is something that I had only seen a couple episodes of before. Um, it wasn't my favorite iteration of the modern Batman um, cartoons. It's more in line with the 1960s version of Batman. Um, it, it tells itself that because of, they give you a visual cue, which is the blue cowl. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of being black, you see he has a blue cowl, which signals to anybody older 1960s Batman or older comic book Batman. So it's going to be a lighter fare. It's not going to be as dark. Well, you pointed out they also make several references to the 1960s Batman show. Yes, they do. In this particular episode, they make two overt um, comments about the 1960s show. They mention the Batusi, and they also mention shark repellent, which was in 
Batman, the movie 1966, where he had shark repellent and, like, sprayed a shark. <laughs> Thank goodness he had it. Because, you know, his utility belt is only has so many slots. So, thankfully, he left shark repellent in there for this. It's either like that or either like um, the Mouse Kadoor in Mickey Mouse Clubhouse because Jack is obsessed with that, where it gives you tools that it knows you're going to need. So there has to be some sort of like future knowledge in the mouse could do her when it gives the tools to Mickey, knowing what things he's going to have to face in the future and then give him those tools. I think that maybe the bat computer somehow has a way of figuring out the future so it could load his utility belt with what he might need. I was going to say maybe off screen in the 1960s Batman they actually had Oracle ahead of time. Yeah. Really making the bat computer into the mouse could do her from Mickey Mouse Clubhouse is making a nice synergy in my brain right now. It's making a lot of sense. Because essentially Ludwig von Drake is, you know, Lucius, I almost said Lucius Malfoy, but Lucius Fox. <laughs> That's a lot more synergy in your brain now. <laughs> like, oh gosh, I've lost it. I've lost Lucius it. Lucius Malfoy Fox. Oh God, it's going. It's hyphenated. It's, it's his married name. Stop. Stop. <laughs> it's already malfunctioning. I can't keep it together. It's not writing itself today. Turn it off. Okay. I'm done. So, <laughs> I don't know what was overloading first. Oh, gosh, the Batman. So, 1966 Batman, 1960s Batman is very much present in this particular episode and in this iteration of Batman Brave and the Bold because Batman is done, uh, the voice actor, Dietrich Bader, is more known for comedy than anything else. So you have a comedian doing the voice of Batman, which is, it's still a nice mm -hmm. voice, but it's not the usual gravelly Batman voice that you're used to. I'm Batman. Yeah, it's more of a, it's more serious than Adam West, but it's not far off from Adam West. It's like the template for Spider-Man. Yeah. And wisecracks here and there and yeah. little things. It's very campy, and while I'm not personally an aficionado of 1960s Batman, I think that a lot of that stuff does work as animation. Yeah. Um, music Meister on some kind of weird duo cycle music note thing that splits off, so Batman could also chase him on a music note motorcycle segue thing. Cool. Done. I like yeah, it. Yeah, animation, it works. Yeah. Sunglasses that are music notes that are his eyes. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. That, the uh, design of the Music Meister was actually really well done. You mean there's like eight costume changes to different eras of music? Oh, yeah. It worked Loved really it. well. Yeah. Oh, so the good. character was really well done. And if you have Apple Music, they have the soundtrack to this episode. If you search Mayhem of the Music Meister, you can listen to all the songs over and over on repeat. And you too can know why the Hall at Comic Con applauded with a standing ovation after this episode first aired. <laughs> My gosh, I can't. It's just so unexpected. It's full of puns. Lots of puns. Um, I, I got to say, like, I think my favorite musical number in this episode is He Drives Us Bats. Yes. Which is the, the inmates of Arkham Asylum singing about their hatred for Batman because he drives them bats. It's good that they have Arkham as it, the lyrics is just really good. Bats. He really dresses bats. Oh, it's so good. Ah. And that's in that song that you get the Batusi and the shark repellent in that particular song. I also enjoy the song Death Trap. Oh, Death Trap was so good. It's but, basically like every <laughs> Batman. <laughs> trap in a single song. Every trap that Batman's ever been trapped by <laughs> in a single song. And you don't know how he gets out of any of them. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, not at all. And you don't care. You're just along for the ride. You just just keep singing, Neil Patrick Harris. Just keep singing. Keep singing! <laughs> and what's interesting about these musical episodes, um, starting with this one, is I found that a lot of them tend to be... They, they rely heavily on knowing that musicals happen on stage. So they'll take a lot of conventions from stage, including blocking. Mm -hmm. um, they will go to things like maybe 
Um, this particular episode opened with opening a curtain. Yes. Yeah. And they close the curtain and they open the curtain like, hey, this is like stage because that's where musicals happen on stage. We don't think about the movie musicals or anything like that. They think musical, yeah, Broadway, of course. And then they go to things like Fosse and kick lines and <laughs> snapping, you know, doing the West Side Story snapping. So they have, they go through all the things that are the really low hanging fruit of the musical genre, all the easy things that anyone who has heard just the word musical knows that, yeah, I know that musicals end in an exclamation point. <laughs> and have snapping and kick lines and all the tropes from musicals that no one who's actually ever sat in a musical. Um, no, all that if you've never sat in a musical, you know all these tropes because they're part of things. And I, I think that the musicals that either know that that's what they're doing and rub against it succeed really well. Or the ones who, and we won't move to it yet, but the ones who know what they're doing and don't comment on it and yeah. just, just follow the stuff really, really well in their own voice. Um, but Batman, this this particular episode, they, they are commenting on it because they don't know why they're singing. So they had the, the thing where somebody accidentally sings and somebody says, my gosh, did you sing? And they're like, no, I didn't sing. And it's like, well, my gosh, I did. You know, they're like, oh, no, I'm singing now. I mean, there was an episode of Sesame Street where this happened to everybody. <laughs> it's like, why is Elmo singing? You know, it's really funny. Anyway, I have a young child. I don't know if we've, we've mentioned that <laughs> I have a young child. If you've never heard of Jack before, rewind 10 minutes in this episode. <laughs> Um, how do you feel about the feelings in this episode? Um, There's a lot of feelings in this Batman there episode. There are a lot of feelings. And I think they were checking off boxes for the kinds of songs that you would Tragic have. Tragic backstory. Tragic backstory. Unrequited love. Yeah, unrequited love. Um, essentially, Black Canary becomes the character Eponine from Les Mis, who has an unrequited love and essentially singing her song about... The guy will never love her, will never notice her. Oh, gosh, I'm sad. The man will never love her. The but Batman. She loves that man, the Batman. Oh, Batman. <laughs> gosh, that lyric is so awful. <laughs> it makes you cringe so much. But but it's a good cringe. It's a good feel cringe. Oh, I know. It's, it's campy. It's, it's, it's like <clears throat> the, the only thing that saves it is the authentic singing. She's going wholeheartedly into it. Mm-hmm. She is singing with all of her heart. She, there's not a sense of irony at all as she's singing this. And it's ridiculous. And that's the reason it works is there's not a touch of irony. The moment you put irony into the singing of it, it mm-hmm. kills it. Yeah. And it, it's the producers. Yeah. Which well, is no, not a bad thing. That's no. not a bad thing. So... It's like um, probably my, there are three musicals that vie for the number one spot in my brain. But so one of them, Little Shop of Horrors, the moment that you make a comment on singing something like Somewhere That's Green, where somebody's singing about wanting a home, you know, and watching Howdy Doody and, you know, having plastic on the furniture to keep it clean. The moment you put any amount of irony in it, it kills it. Mm-hmm. If you sing it authentically and don't make a comment on it and just people will laugh because yes, it's a ridiculous thing, but it's also what this character really wants. So the fact that this <laughs> now sounds really fact that black canary really wanted Batman. I mean, one, I think it was bad to reduce black canary to just somebody who wants Batman. I mean, that was just a bad choice, yeah. just character-wise. But there's only so much you can do in such a short episode. But why Black Canary? Because uh, you needed... Why not Aquaman? I mean, I know they had Black Canary because they needed Black Canary to eventually sing 
really loudly and blow out the music meister's spell. She I know has why the they voice power. Yeah, I know why they chose because her voice. You know, she can go. She can do the Phantom of the Opera. Get a little louder. Get a little louder. Get a little higher. Get a little higher. <laughs> they can do the Phantom of the Opera thing, like keep singing and get higher and higher and higher. And I know that that could be part of it, but I didn't like reducing a powerful woman character into a longing musical thing, and I. I, I don't like it in musicals in general. I, <laughs> I just don't, and I didn't like it here especially. I generally agree, I think, for what they were going for. I see why they made those choices. Certainly. If you're going to make fun of the trope, then you have to choose the, um, the single powerful female in the leather jacket and black gloves. I don't know. I mean, if you're going for 80s Broadway, which is what they were going for. Yes. I mean, if, if if not, they. I mean, they were referencing Les Mis in a lot of ways. They were referencing Phantom of the Opera in in a lot of ways. A lot of ways. Um, they were referencing. I don't know. A lot of it felt very Andrew Lloyd Webber from the eighties. I felt like the he drives his bats was very Cats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that they used that music for such effect here. Like each. Song was like a diversion. It was a distraction. It was a fight. Like the music meister uses music powers to control people with their singing and do his bidding. Yes. And in this world, they use that because music isn't normal in the world of Batman, the Brave and the Bold, even though it should be because it's campy and fun. Right. Um, similarly, um, it's not a musical episode, but an episode of The Simpsons where they use music for effect. Uh, monorail. Sure. Um, where they start singing the monorail song to sell the town on the how fun and how good this monorail will be. And it's not usual. The town doesn't usually sing, but they get whipped into this fury of singing about how great this will be for their town. And even ends acknowledging that this doesn't usually happen. Monorail! Monorail! Mono! Dope! Because they don't all know the words to the song. <laughs> Homer doesn't know the words. And they acknowledge, like, this doesn't usually happen. Um, but it's used for effect and building, which is fun. It's campy. It's interesting. You can spend your disbelief long enough for like half an hour. Right. You know what they're referencing. You know that they're doing the Harold Hill, Music Man, you know, everything with that monorail song, which is a brilliant song. It's a brilliant <sighs> moment. So good. But um, they, but there's also the the Simpsons episode, Simpson Califragilistic Espiala. Annoyed grunt, shiss. Yes, <laughs> um, where which is a parody of Mary Poppins, where they go full on and do a parody of almost every single story beat of Mary Poppins, but do it in a way that's true to the Simpsons characters. They don't comment that, oh my gosh, why are we singing suddenly? They play it straight in terms of, of course, this is a song, this is a song, and they sing. They do call attention to later on, like telling Sherry Bobbins, their their new nanny, Sherry, <laughs> Bob, to sing. You know, or they were so tired of her singing, they do I'm understand. Not a bloody jukebox. I've been exactly. singing to you all day. <laughs> exactly, but the fact that she is singing is not strange. The fact that they burst into song is a normal thing. They don't comment on, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? Is something wrong with the world? Are we under a crazy spell? You know what's normal because that character is in their lives, right? Yeah, I mean, even at the beginning before she enters, Bart and Lisa come in to sing a song about the nanny they want, and they have like a early '90s like boombox thing going on. I don't know. <laughs> I guess not early '90s, <laughs> late '90s. Ooh, time flies. Um, and they sing to the music that this boombox is playing, um, and the rest of the songs, of course, don't have anything like that. There's just no. music, right? I do enjoy the lyric, let's make it away with Moida. <laughs> <laughs> That's just funny. That's just, this is classic lyric writing. The whole episode's so good. Let me get uh, <sighs> around the house. <laughs> Her butt waxed our railing. Ooh, I can see myself. <laughs> and anytime you could have a Disney esque character singing Margaritaville. <laughs> Just wonderful. Just but she's she's not Disney. She's just like Ricky Rouse or Monald Muck. Monald Muck and Ricky Rouse. 
She's her own thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry Bobbins. <laughs> Definitely not like anyone else you may have heard of. <laughs> oh, classic. Now, there is, to not go too in-depth with it, because we both love it, there's another episode where music isn't normally part of the world yes. of this show. Um, and it is used to such great effect, it would be um, negligent to not include it in our episode today. Right. The original finale for Futurama, The Devil's Hands Are Idle Playthings, which uses ultimately an opera setting to tell the story of not just Fry and Leela, but of the episode and what happens in it, and define irony succinctly for all English majors everywhere. And people who should know what irony is. Yeah. Now that's irony! <laughs> uh, classic episode. So good. We can't quote all of our favorite lines from this episode because then we'd just be doing the episode in our podcast. <laughs> which as much fun as that would be for all of you, it's for us to recreate it, which is essentially the... There's that post-apocalyptic play, Mr. Burns. That's a, that's a, <laughs> yes. we, we'd essentially be doing that with an episode of Futurama, which is just recreating an episode. I think we do a better job than the people do in Mr. Burns. Ooh, shots fired. I'm just saying, they don't seem to remember that episode very well. Yeah, they can't be very big Simpsons fans. I don't think they are. Maybe that's the point. Maybe in the future we all sort of know the Simpsons. Once the apocalypse comes in like 2018, 2019. It's already 2017 now. I said what I said. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I know what I said. Ooh, yeah. So, but Devil's <clears throat> Hands are idle playthings. They do have a little bit where it just happens because they're in the world of the opera. So instead of a magic thing happening, they're essentially just continuing on the show. The opera show that Fry has written for Leela, because now he has the robot Devil's Hands, um, and is a musical wonder. He's able to actually create the things that he hears in his head. He actually has the means to create. With a holophoner. With a holophoner. To be clear. It's a musical holo projection instrument. Right. Uh, if you've never watched Futurama and you listen to our podcast. So. <laughs> hey, we have a couple of people who've never watched Futurama who listen to our show. Do we? Josh. Oh, Okay. At least one. At least one. I, I added a couple people. Just There might be somebody in Sweden who listens to our show who maybe hasn't watched Futurama. I don't know if our Sweden listeners, Swedish listeners have listened to it. Watched it. Watch Futurama. Never mind. So he's able to create it, and they're able to go on, and they finish up the opera by continuing it. And there's only one comment that they make about it. The two com- <laughs> Where somebody says, I can't believe they're all at living. Zoidberg, magically. Magically. The one line that Zoidberg gets, because every character has to get a single line. There are a couple, like, Greek chorus-esque comments aside from that also, but they're not about the musical. It's it's about what's happening. I can't believe this happening. Not if Leela's engaged, is right. what Amy says. Right. Sings. Is this really happening or just being staged? This can't be real. Not if Leela... Is engaged. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Um, and one of the things that I think is excellent about this episode is towards the beginning, they reintroduce you to the fact that the robot devil is musically inclined because it was a previous episode with him mm-hmm. with another musical segment. They go to robot hell and they go down and the robot devils that been there rehearsing the song from the previous episode he was in. So you're immediately shown like, oh, you remember this guy? He's musical. That's a fact you should know for later in this episode. Yeah. That's true. And brilliant episode. And classically, I forget where this came from. I feel like this is a um, Sondheim quote or something Sondheim believes. I forget where I pulled this from. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Let's say it's Sondheim. Someone is describing musicals and like why they're musical. And the, the general belief about musicals, for this person's mind, possibly Sondheim, I don't know, is that characters only start singing when they can no longer express their emotions through words. Mm. And, I've heard that. Yeah, that's definitely what happens in this Futurama episode. Or I think the other criteria for a great musical episode, as the robot devil says, this opera is as lousy as it is brilliant. <laughs> Like, it's cheesy. If you just watch this episode of Futurama not being a Futurama fan, 
it's lousy. It's not a very good musical. <laughs> no. But it's brilliant if you're a fan. <laughs> and I think that's something about musicals is you have to embrace the ridiculousness of it and the fact that here's a moment where a character is just talking and the next moment there's music playing underneath them and the next moment they're suddenly speak they're suddenly singing and you have to acknowledge that there's something not right about that whether you have a character make a comment about it or whether the comment is just how loopy you get with it. You know, if you go crazy ex-girlfriend or something like that, where you just live in the genre and just go whole hog into the genre of what you've created. So or, we could also do a Brader's Get Ex-Girlfriend podcast. <laughs> but you, you have that, you know what the trope is. And if you live in that trope, I don't think you have to make the snide comment of, why are we singing? Why is this like this? You just have to play it as straight as possible in terms of the the emotion in there. In terms of, are you talking about musical episodes as a whole or just where they acknowledge that music is abnormal in this world? I think uh, both. Okay. Do you have favorite episodes along that same line where music is not normal in that world but they don't acknowledge it do I do I I believe they're not as campy they're not as campy um I mean there there are episodes of the Simpsons that don't comment on it yeah but they're kind of later after they establish that the Simpsons usually have like a musical episode once right. a season. I think like the, Lisa becoming student body president. Right, the Evita episode essentially. Yeah, that one's really good. I like that. So But yeah, there's a lot of different things where I'm trying to think of another music uh episode that has singing in it that does isn't commented on it that's not necessarily part of its DNA. Uh I'll have to think about that. I, well, we have the second half for a podcast, if you do think of it. I know. I'm still thinking. <laughs> I'll keep it going in the back of my mind. I will multitask. And of course, then, as we enter this other genre of, I guess not genre, but world where music is suddenly part of it for an episode, um, I do want to talk about Steven Universe briefly, even though I said we're not really talking about it, because... In Steven Universe, there are many episodes with their many songs that they do. It's Steven on his ukulele or his dad playing something and singing. And it's a character because they're musical doing a song. Mm -hmm. But there are occasionally songs in Steven Universe where the character is not musical and suddenly they burst into song and it's amazing. I think for me, famously, the season one finale, um, the character Garnet bursts into song about her and how the enemy that she's fighting is not stronger than her. And it's this wonderful wonderful song and a good fight song it's like my pump up song now <laughs> um it's a da 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 I, I'm gonna butcher it all but yeah I'm, I'll butcher it all but the that song I think is great in the same context of this character's not musical this world's not musical she's fighting another character in an epic season finale battle right now this shouldn't normally be where a song is but instead we have a really great song <laughs> in addition to the fight um and of course your other homework was Something a show that I have grown to love as it got canceled <laughs> uh, that we haven't talked about yet. Wander over yonder mm -hmm. uh, from the brilliant mind of Craig McCracken, which I haven't really watched too many episodes. I think this was only the second episode of it I've seen. It's silly. Yeah. It's definitely silly, but I like a lot of the characters and they do well. And the second season, uh, right before that got canceled, there's essentially <laughs> the first season. Uh, there's the character Wander, who's silly and wonderful, and is his good friend, this uh, Zaborniak? That sounds right. Um, who is just this very down-to-earth, grounded, horsewoman creature thing. <laughs> Technical term. And it's their goofy relationship, but Wander just wants to be friends with everybody, including the evil supervillain Lord Hater, who's trying to conquer the galaxy. So it's about him trying to be friends with this evil person who's a skeleton in a robe with electrical powers. Yeah, essentially Skeletor. Yeah. 
if Skeletor were even more campy. In like an old Disney cartoon. Yeah. On the Disney Channel. Yeah. Well, XD. Like a, but more of like, um, it feels, Lord Hater feels like a, if you're going to like 1940s animation style in terms of the facial expressions and how sometimes the skull will bend and move in different ways that a bone doesn't normally. It's very silly. It's a very silly show and they play with that a lot. They play with physics and emotional laws of when you say something, a character should do this. Like, it definitely plays up the camp normally, which I think is maybe why I don't mind when they have a musical episode that they don't acknowledge that this isn't normal. Yeah. There are occasionally songs also because Wander has a banjo. Anytime you give a character a musical instrument and say that they're musical, you're just giving yourself license to randomly bring it in, like Lisa and her saxophone or yeah. other things. You're trying to say, hey, yeah, this, this could happen. This can happen. And in the episode My Fair Haiti, they are normally 11-minute episodes, and they've made this a full 22-minute musical episode. And it's towards the end of season two, and Lord Hater has fallen in love with the new villain in the season who's trying to destroy the galaxy, not take it over, Lord Dominator. Yeah. She's given him a, sent him a letter to say, hey, come and meet me, which he's misinterpreted to think that she's asking him out on a date when really she's expected him to go up there and surrender like all the other villains have. Uh, which is already comedic gold. Yes. I mean, Shakespeare did that to death. Yeah. Misinterpretation of once. Uh. Amazing. Um, so, of course, putting something Shakespeare did into cartoons, amazing. <laughs> um, and so My Fair Haiti is <laughs> when Wander and Lord Hater kind of become friends for real for the first time because Lord Hater has... Fine, the episode begins, he's finally caught his arch nemesis. He's about to murder him and put an end to this rivalry that hated for so long. He says, what do you think of this letter? Can I uh, have your help preparing for this date? And so he puts these two characters in very different circumstances. And they sing about it, and of course their sidekicks are then talking about how this is our opportunity to put an end to this other villain trying to destroy the universe. That's how I'll get her. That's how you'll get her. Yeah, nice, nice dual way of taking a, a musical theme and changing it when somebody else sings it. Mm-hmm. It's really nicely done. It is. It without calling attention to any of it. Yeah, it does good musical. It gives good musical. I mean, there's that one point where the sidekicks say, "Oh my gosh, you're singing." They do make reference to that. Well, yeah, very minorly. I know, but they do make a reference that, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing it, but it's not that it's out of the realm of possibility in the world. It's just that, why are you doing this now? It's more, <laughs> it's more the idea. Yes. It's not so much that, oh my gosh, you're singing, you shouldn't be singing. It's, why are you singing at this moment? Please stop doing it. Um, I did appreciate several moments in, in that episode um, where he goes up and he has his big number to Lord Dominator and it turns out she wasn't even in the armor <laughs> so he's performing and doing his big number and she's not even there oh it's such a great like 80s rock ballad too oh it's such it's a magnificent good. but he's also in you know very much uh, I want to say Hello Dolly Music Man esque outfit with the stripy jacket and then the uh the hat that they often wear. That oh, the quartet hat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for knowing what it's called. Barbershop quartet? Yeah. So he's wearing that and, and singing this ballad, which is wrong in a lot of ways, but <laughs> so right somehow. <laughs> it's very amazing. My favorite song and my actual favorite thing, I have an obligatory favorite thing I'll say later, <laughs> but my actual favorite thing this episode you know, that we're discussing is... Dominator's song, um, I'm the Bad Guy. Yeah. Which is wonderful and empowering. And it's kind of the same conceit of the Batman, the Brave, and the Bold episode of Will Batman Sing? Will the evil person who hates everything silly about this galaxy sing in this episode? And she does. And she frames it perfectly of, let me put this away, you idiots can understand. And then she starts her song. <laughs> yeah. She's not the damsel in distress. Right. She's the bad guy. And then when she has her armor on and is singing in the gravity voice, <laughs> it, it just it 
it just takes it to another level. <laughs> it just makes a joke on top of a joke. Mm-hmm. She's having fun being crazy evil with how campy is. She's taking what they're doing and making it evil. Yes. Which is why you get the best villain songs in a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Villains have the most fun because they make you walk a certain way. They make you speak a certain way. And everyone likes to smile and be, be bad. It's, it's winking. It's putting your, your finger up and, and it's... It's your pinky up. Your pinky up. Yeah. yeah, sorry, not your finger. Like a teacup. Yeah, it's it's doing the. I'm so bad and smiling at it. Don't you love me? It's it's like shiny from Moana. You know, that's another great example. It's just the the moment of just ah, I'm just I'm so bad, but I'm fabulous at being bad. Yeah. I don't normally sing, but for you, I'll tell you how bad I am. So bad. I like shiny things. That's how bad I am. Jack hates when I sing that song. <laughs> I was washing dishes and singing shiny, and he came in and, please stop singing, Daddy. Is this your end of 2016 dishes? Yeah, this is my, yeah. It's washing dishes furiously, <laughs> so I wouldn't have dirty dishes in the new year. And then he just comes in, please stop singing. And then... And then he's like, can you sing the other one, which was, you're welcome. It's like, yeah. So I started singing. He's like, please stop singing. (laughs) I was like, you just told me to sing. You wanted to, oh, I see. Because I told him he could ask me nicely. You know, I gave, like, if I'm singing, he doesn't like it. He could say, excuse me, and ask me. He's like, can you sing, you're welcome? Yeah, I'll sing. So I start singing, you're welcome. And he comes up and says, excuse me, can you stop? (laughs) He wanted to put into practice what I gave him notes on. I uh, can't be mad at that. No, I was like, oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. You take direction too well, Jack. Well done. Thank you. It's like, well, here, we'll try it again. Here, why don't you try singing this song? <laughs> and I will interrupt you singing that. <laughs> so I, I feel like our house um, could be a musical at, at points. I could see that. So, I mean, I think that everything is better with a little more music sometimes not two and a half hours of stage music usually the best musicals i feel know that they're musicals so you're in camp one batman brave and the bold uh, a little bit okay i think you have to here's the thing you have to be on board with the ridiculousness of it but you also have to be real to who the characters are which is why I have a problem with the Black Canary song, but no problem with He Drives Us Back. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, the If Only song from Music Meister I have an issue with, but He Drives Us Bats, on yeah, board. yeah, on board. He like, does drive totally, you bats. Exactly. It works every possible way. That song works every possible way. I do also like when being musical for an episode provides an opportunity to see a new side of a character's emotion. Yes. They can sing something they couldn't say in words. Yes. I agree. They drive in bats. Because usually these characters, and when you have a musical, a lot of songs are a character on their own, and it's their innermost being expressing itself, saying all the things that they're thinking that is normally either said with... (laughs) silence so it's that inner turmoil is finally coming out so we can see it it's a more entertaining monologue oh yeah (laughs) i think i think monologues are more problematic than a song yeah i have more issue with a monologue than with a song being classically trained in theater i'm okay with that also I yeah. think it takes some getting used to a lot. Like if you've never seen a musical before and you're watching a cartoon show and they suddenly burst into song, that might take some getting used to the first time. Yeah. But I'm okay with monologuing. I feel like I have a, I have a hard time when a musical is generic. Mm. That's when I get have issues with. When it doesn't sound like itself. Like... 
an Al- sure an Alan Menken song sounds like an Alan Menken song in a lot of ways. Like you can almost guess certain Alan Menken songs, but they fit in style and structure for each individual character and everything goes a certain way even though you might sense what it sounds like. An Andrew Lloyd Webber song sounds like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, not the character. But I, I do have issues with something like a lyric that isn't specific to a character or you they know they need a certain song for this and so they write a song for a certain moment that doesn't come out organically or say anything special it's just we need a song where these two characters are together in a scene and it goes just i don't know yeah where they're filling in gaps not having fun with it right they didn't edit down they edited up yeah yeah that's what it feels it feels like filler and not like something that is actually being expressed so in what we've discussed today do you have a favorite thing that's the opposite of things you don't like Yes, um, probably my favorite thing is just how surprised I was at enjoying Batman Brave and the Bold, mm-hmm. Music Meister. Having never heard of it, and you suggested, it's like, okay, Batman Brave and the Bold. Musical episode, okay. Mm-hmm. And then it was, I was like, oh, Neil Patrick Harris, fine, I'll watch it. Yeah, and uh, just, I was just shocked at how the songs <laughs> stayed in my head. And, and then on your phone. And then on my phone <laughs> and in the car and other places. It was just surprising how much I, I enjoyed it. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with Neil Patrick Harris. But I think as a character, the music meister, who was bullied, because of course you have to have the tragic backstory, yeah. bullied because he was in choir, and then realizing that he had this power as he sang higher to actually control the minds of other people. He gets stuck in that time period in the 80s in his brain, and now suddenly that's what he's expressing is this childhood angst. So the real tragedy is that he's stuck in this 80s musical mindset because he never really was able to evolve from there. He just (laughs) got stuck in that moment. Just the pain has caused him so much. So now he's, and of course, you know, you'd get Neil Patrick Harris to to do it. I think you're reading a lot into this, but I like it. I, I'm sorry. That's, (laughs) that's what I get. He's just, that's what we do here. He's he's just stuck there in, in the 1980s because that's where his trauma was from. It's like a Batman stuck in the 1960s in Batman Brave and the Bold. Yeah. Has to be. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite thing? I know you just said your your one favorite thing about um, I'm the bad guy. Yeah, my real favorite thing is the song I'm a bad guy. That's on repeat and stuck in my head and my phone and everything. <laughs> my obligatory favorite thing, which is my favorite thing of all favorite things, which I use every opportunity to quote. Yes. Um, as do you. I do. Um this trumps all of our other favorite things ever in this podcast <laughs> is from the devil's hands or idle play things. It's not even a musical moment. It's Bender talking to Fry about Fry's problem and saying, I think I have a solution for you, but it might involve a metaphorical deal with the devil. And by devil, I mean robot devil. And by metaphorical, I mean get your coat. This <laughs> is the most brilliant line. And when you love that line as much as we do, you find opportunities to quote it more often than you might think. Yeah, it's very apropos for many a situation. <laughs> Get your coat. Get your coat. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, so should we talk homework time? Regular homework time. Regular musical. Non musical homework no. time. No, we said non musical. I know. I'm. I just felt like the irony, the ironic thing to do would be to sing non musical homework time. Homework time. Okay. For homework time, next time, uh, we are going to be uh, grammar nerds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelsey, Not spelled the way you think. Kelsey <laughs> grammar nerds. See, see what we did there? Or did you hear what we did there? Yeah. Hear what, yeah. Did you, you see it in your mind's eye what we did there? <laughs> Kelsey, <laughs> if you're dyslexic, you didn't. <laughs> so we are going to be investigating Kelsey grammar in animation. 
just a whole show talking about Kelsey Grammer. All of his wise and bitter advice from across the spectrum of animation. <laughs> so you have lots of things that you can watch. You can watch um, the Simpsons episode Cape Fear. That's actually, I think it's the second episode of Sideshow Bob. Second appearance. Mm. It's either the second or third episode of Sideshow Bob. Um, but it's um, Cape Fear, which if you listen to it earlier, um, it's what they base the show um, Mr. Burns, a post-apocalyptic play on, is this episode of The Simpsons, Cape Fear. Um, also, you can watch Troll Hunters, which is new on Netflix. And I love it. Um, episode 17 of this first season that just came out, Blinky's Day Out. Did I say yeah, that right? You Blinky? Did. You did. It's more serious than it sounds. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can also watch Toy Story, the second one, part two. So Toy Story 2, where Kelsey Grammer stars as, um, oh gosh, what is his name? The Prospector. prospector. Yeah. The Prospector. You're going to want to meet the Prospector. It's like you don't even like Disney. Ooh, anyway, get that look too. <laughs> I knew. Um, if you're feeling really ambitious, you can also watch Anastasia, uh, which has Kelsey Grammer's acting talent in it. Um, we may not talk about Anastasia that much. We we'll probably see. won't. But, <laughs> but if you want to get the whole image, you can also watch that. So why can't we get Kelsey Grammer? What Kelsey Grammer brings to the animated table? What 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 do we love about? Kelsey Grammer. That's we'll that's find what, out next episode. That's what we're, we're not going to tell next you. Not, not how. Stay tuned. One might say. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. Uh, next time. <laughs> As always, thank you to our engineer Nigel Cotino and to Jacob Reed for our music. You can find us on the web on Twitter. I, I was trying to go for a musical thing. Oh, I was going to let you continue. Oh, I wasn't going to call you out. WG Animated. Find us on Facebook.com slash WG Animated. Or on Tumblr, you can find our show notes. Lots of clips to everything we talked about. Radisgetanimated.tumblr.com. I don't know what else to sing. I'm singing with my jazz hands now. Oh, we will end in jazz hands that no one will get to see. <laughs> jazz hands. Jazz hands. Good night, everybody. <laughs> my jazz hands keep hitting the blinds. You're fools. Foolish fools. <laughs> <laughs>